Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy O Gene Hoagland. This is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. Hey, man, this is Dolo Pass. Hi, this is Conrad Apiece, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Meow! Hi, yeah, okay, so hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. Ha <laughs> ha! Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mark from Chimera. This is Vinny Apsy from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Damned on Metal Blade Records, and you are listening to Mars Attack. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Rex Brown from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. All right. Overkill, coming off of the Electric Age. 
That kicks off episode 60 of the Mars Attacks podcast. As Mr. Rex Brown said there, I'm your host, Victor. And uh, what we're going to have for you is two interviews this time around. We're going to have Bobby Blitz from Overkill on the show. And we're going to have Guillermo Izquierdo, is how you pronounce it in Spanish. Izquierdo in English. Uh, from the Spanish thrash band Angelus Apatrida. Uh, they have also just released an album. Their album just came out in the U.S. this week, actually, as a digital release only on Century Media. Overkills obviously came out last month um, on Nuclear Blast here in Europe and E1 in the States. Both albums, highly, highly, highly recommendable. The Overkill album, as much as I liked Ironbound, I think the Electric Age kicks Ironbound's ass. Um, nothing wrong with Ironbound. I think Ironbound is a great collection of songs. Uh, has a lot of very good songs that stand out. It's just that the Electric Age, even putting this episode together, you know, I had to look at, you know, these songs and realize, you know, what, what do I want to play? Because I absolutely love the album. You know, I played Black Days, that chorus part with Blitz and with Didi Verney there. Um, it's just going to now be stuck in my head for the next X amount of hours because I just love it. It's just so cool. The track that comes after this, Save Yourself, is another really neat track. And outside of that, the first three tracks before this absolutely kick ass. Uh, Good Night is really cool as well, and everything in between. You know, I don't want to leave anything out, but, uh, you know, the entire album is very, very solid. Uh, highly recommend it. Easily one of, in my opinion, one of the five best albums to come out this year, without a doubt. In all of hard rock and metal, without a doubt, and I have no problem saying that. The Angelus Apatrid album, as well, is very good. The band takes a very big step forward. If you'd followed them at all... They're a band that is uh, huge here in Spain. They're not as known outside of Spain, uh, obviously. It's a band that has been around for a while, but is now going out on their third European tour. Uh, they're going out with um, Havoc, Goat's Whore, and Three Inches of Blood. They're out on tour with them now for uh, a few months, actually. I believe they don't come back to Spain till the fall. So if you're out in continental Europe, I know they kick things off in Germany. They've been in parts of England already. Uh, look out for them. And um, you'll hear me say this during the interview with, uh, with Guillermo. Um, I've seen both of these bands live. I've seen Angelus Apatridon a bunch of times. Actually, I've seen Overkill a bunch of times as well. In this setting here in Spain... Overkill by far is the band that I've seen to get the best reaction out of any band that I've seen, without a doubt. They're a legendary band. Um, they know what they're doing live, so obviously, you know, it's easy for them to get people emotionally involved and really fired up for their shows. Angelus Apatrida, the same thing. I mean, I would say that after Overkill, they are the next, you know... Um, the, the the band that is connected the most with the audience here, uh, without a doubt. And there are interesting things that um, that Guillermo mentions regarding uh, opening up for Megadeth, things that uh, Dave Elson said to them. Um, 
you know, uh, hopefully they can one day take that leap over to the States and, you know, bring what they do to the, uh, you know, to the crowds in the States, you know. There is an elite number of bands that have, you know, come back and sort of brought thrash to the forefront again or helped, you know, with the newer bands, with newer generations of musicians and fans. Call it retro thrash, call it whatever you want to call it. But there's an elite bunch of bands. Uh, you know, you have Evile, you have Warbringer, you have Lazarus AD. And I would have to say that Angela Sapatra is right there. Uh, if you really give them, you know, a listen, in my opinion, they're that good. Um, more on that, I just actually wrote an interview or an interview, I'm sorry, a, a review for Metal Army America. I wrote for them about two years ago, and, uh, you know, things sort of, they, they went through changes. They wanted to go in a direction that I wasn't, you know, too comfortable with, so I, you know, bowed out. And um, the person running the site now approached me and asked, you know, if I would do some reviews for them and just add some content. And, you know, I have... Um, and one of the first things that I've done is the review of this Angela Sapatrida album. So uh, I really think it is great, so check it out. Uh, what else? Uh, you know, I I keep saying that I'm going to, you know, uh, get back up to speed with the podcast. And, you know, things happen. Life happens. You know, different things take place. And I sort of have to put this on the back burner. So, you know, I do apologize for, you know, long breaks between some of these episodes between 59 and 60, but we do have, you know, two kick-ass interviews today. Uh, things that I want to catch you guys up on. Um, in the meantime, you know, between the two episodes, what what has taken place is that the Mars Attacks radio show itself uh, no longer exists, at least for now. Uh, Mark Striegel, who owned the stream where the, uh, st- where the show broadcasts, has decided to fold the stations for economic reasons. I have a, a pretty good relationship with Mark, and I do have to, you know, thank him and John Astronomy, for, both from Talking Metal, for really pushing me to do these podcasts, for better or for worse. You know, I know that I'm not the, you know, best at this, and a lot of times I listen to these interviews, and I was listening to the Blitz interview, and I was cringing, you know, because I, to me, sound very uptight. Um... But whatever, you know, I do have fun listening back and, and conducting these interviews, you know, I think it's great. And, you know, little by little, I'm getting feedback from people, and, and it's cool. The podcast is a completely different entity from the radio shows. It's difficult to get radio, internet radio, off the ground. There's so many options out there, and this doesn't mean that I won't be back, you know, in some capacity uh, with a radio show. I'm looking at different options, maybe, I don't know, jumping on another stream, possibly even purchasing a stream of my own on Live 365, uh, or I've seen this other service called Spreaker as well. Uh, The biggest issue there is, you know, royalties. I want to be able to play music and, you know, program some stuff and bring you some cool stuff, you know, that you may not hear, you know, um, every day on your usual you know, a radio station, something that would actually, 
bring people over. You know, I'm not looking to make any money off of this. I doubt I ever will. It's just a lot of fun for me. And while I can do it, you know, I will continue to do so. And maybe there are going to be infrequent breaks in between and whatnot. But, you know, it it is what it is. So, um, yeah, so no more Mars Attacks Radio for now. MarsAttacksRadio.com is fully alive, and that's where you can go to find out information of, uh, you know, related to the podcast or anything else that we will do. If a actual radio show comes back, you'll read about it there first. Uh, from there, you can also find links to all the great social media sites, the Google Plus site, the, um, I almost said LinkedIn. No, there is no Mars Attacks LinkedIn site, although I am up there. Um, there's the Facebook page, the Twitter, so on and so forth. Just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. You'll see all that great stuff on the right-hand side of the homepage. Uh, rather than blurting out all the stuff, you know, you can just find all the information there. It's just easier. You know, yes, I could say, all right, well, it's Facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. Okay, cool. Uh, then for Twitter, it's something else. Then for, you know what, just go click on the links and and find it from there. That's the easiest thing to do, without a doubt. Uh, what else? I'm also part of the Cast Iron Ring, which is a a network of podcasts that uh, have sort of come together to help promote one another. You know, um, I'm not competing with anyone. You know, let's let's be honest here. I do this because I love it, and I think that we're pretty much helping one another out. You know, and the idea behind the Cast Iron Ring is to help cross promote things. We have an a um, an iPhone app. Uh, check that out. You can uh, get that right, o- right off of iTunes. I'm fumbling over my words here because I'm thinking of what I'm going to say next and looking at Cast Iron Ring and everything else because I want to tell you about all the great podcasts. But yes, we have the app um, for the Cast Iron Ring. What this allows you to do is go and click on the app, see the various shows, see all the pertinent social media sites, Download the episodes directly onto your iPhone and uh, and take things from there. So it's a cool way of, you know, keeping in touch with everything related to the Cast Iron Ring. And if you're not familiar with what's involved at the Cast Iron Ring, just go to castironring.com um, and find out more information. Outside of my show, Mars Attacks, you have the Shockwave Skull Sessions, you have Bone Hand Heavy Half Hour. You have Focus on Metal. You have the Shockwaves Hard Radio um, show as well. You have Iron City Rocks, Signal to Noise, and Radioactive Metal. And let's see some of the things that have been uploaded there recently. You have uh, Radioactive Metal Episode 214. You have um, you have Mercedes from Kitty. Uh Great, great person that I've spoken to on several occasions, both in person and uh, for the show. Uh, what else? Signal to Noise. They have Nick Cantonese from Black Label Society. Focus on Metal. They have an episode focusing on, let's see, this is their uh, set list challenge. And uh, let's see, they make a set list for six classic metal bands. That embraced the whole catalog and wasn't just the same old song and dance, which is cool. You know, that's exactly what I love, 
you know, when discussing bands, you, you know, you want to hear some of the hits, obviously, but, you know, if you're a certain band, you know who you are. 30 years, the same set list, really? I mean, come on, mix it up a little. Uh, what else? Heavy Half Hour, episode 39, the April show, the April shows of blood, excuse me. And what else? Iron City Rocks has Vinnie Paul from Hell Yeah. And Mike Orlando from Adrenaline Mob, who we've had recently. And uh, Harriet Steve Zetro Souza. And it's interesting because when I speak to Guillermo, I mentioned that their first single, which I will play in a second, which is called You Are Next. He sounds to me or reminds me a lot of Zetro uh, from his days in Exodus. So there you go. Go to Cast Iron Ring and check everything out. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into... We're going to do this a little different from the last few episodes. We're going to do some Angela Sepatrida now. We're going to do You Are Next. And then we're going to jump into the interview with Guillermo. We're going to play some more Angela Sepatrida. Then play some music in between that based on some of the comments that Guillermo gives me. And, uh, and then we'll get into the Blitz portion after that. So here we go. You Are Next by Angelus Apatrida.
the call is out here in Europe and will be released shortly in the U.S. Uh, coming off of Clockwork and all the subsequent tours after, what did you set out to do specifically with the call? Uh, well, we never think about uh, the new, how the new album or the new songs has to, to, to sound like. Uh, it was something totally naturally. It was like touring uh, for two years all over Europe. Uh, made uh, made the band, I think, uh, put the, the strength and the, and the power of, of the band uh, in, in the album. Uh, obviously, it, I think it's the everybody says the same. Okay, but the call I think is our best album so far, mm -hmm. and it's because of that because you can uh, you can see and listen to all the the energy and the aggressiveness of the band in in, in the album that I think in the other albums uh, was not so implicit. You know. Okay, and uh, with this album you worked with uh, Daniel Cardoso for the second time. What does he offer? the band that maybe other producers haven't in the past? Well, I think uh, Daniel Cardoso is the best producer we know so far. <laughs> and he really did a, a great work with Clockwork. And both Century Media and, and the band uh, were very pleased to, to work with him. And when we started to, to, to talk with Daniel about the new album, he wanted to do a, uh, his best metal album as producer and wanted to take the, the album as something personal, uh, not just like a new work or a new job for other band, something like uh, personal for him. Right. And, and I think he really did it and, and I think he, he uh, put the, all the, the extra energy on the album. For, I think the, the work in, in drums is uh, amazing and he really uh, helped me a lot with vocals, with melodies. Uh, with, with all the, the production on, on vocals, even for the for the whole sound of the, of the album, I think it's, it's it's the best we we ever did. And, and if anything changes, uh, we'll be recorded with him in the next album too. Okay. Um, and the one thing that was sort of cut off in the beginning, the one thing that I mentioned was that um, the vocals is the first thing that really stood out to me with the single for You Are Next. The comparison that I did say was Zetro, the previous singer in Exodus, and you had mentioned that for a lot of people that it's sort of, it, it was strange, I guess they're used to hearing you sing a certain way yeah. and hearing you sing a different way, or hearing the band sound differently without a singer change, which mm -hmm. is usually what happens, is I guess what caught them by surprise. Yeah, but uh, to tell you, I think it's, uh, it's something natural. For, for, I, I think your next, for example, is a very aggressive song and deserves uh, an aggressive vocals, and it's the way I... I I, uh, I I know how to 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 sing so aggressive. So, but I think I, I can't imagine that song with other kind of vocals. I I, um, I don't. I wouldn't like to to hear another song like Blast Off, for example. Right. Or, you know, it's Blast Off is an aggressive song with uh, a lot of melody and vocals. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't like it that that way. So I, when I was in the studio recording Your Next and another like uh, Violent Down. Or other songs, it was like uh, asking for asking Daniel, what do you think about this kind of vocals? Yes, yes, more, more power, more energy. Yes, what the, the, the sound deserve, and we really like them. So I think uh, people could be surprised about some melodies on the on the vocals. Maybe they they expect to 
to listen to Dave Mustaine again, <laughs> you know, but I'm getting older. And right. <laughs> and I think I improved myself, the, the vocals, uh, thanks to all the, the, the past two years tuning so long. And, and now I can sing uh, with uh, more tones and, and more different kind of, of, of vocals than, than in the previous albums. I feel my voice is stronger than ever right now. Right. And, I, and I, can, I can sing so high, for example, in, in the song It's Rising or the right. Help Us World Cover. Uh, I think two years ago I, I wasn't able to, to sing so high. So. Right. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I wasn't going to mention the this particular point but uh, one of the complaints that I heard from somebody and this is just the uh, the audience here in Spain that for some reason they want to separate metal from heavy and the comment was it's rising would be a good song for Judas Priest but not for Angelus Apatrida why <laughs> I, I personally think it's it's a stupid point and this guy is a, a show host so um I think it's interesting that people are very close-minded and don't see that as a musician, you have to evolve, you have to look for something different and not to, like you said, blast off again or yeah. or make the same thing over and over again. If not, what's the point? No, it was when I, I remember when I, uh, I was composing that song and I remember me of the, the very first times of Annihilator and other, uh, other bands, like, not trash bands, like, uh, but uh, something like... American power metal, you know? Right. And I, I really love the American power metal. And it's what it uh, means for me. It's heavy right. metal. Even it's trash metal is uh, heavy metal too. Yeah, so. it's part of... Yeah, of course. And <laughs> I, I remember bands like, I, I fucking love, like Last Rock, the Nuclear Assault, right, right, for right. example. What's the problem? What? Yeah. It just, uh, when I was recording the vocals, it was like, Daniel told me the same. Higher, higher, Guillermo, higher, more, more higher. So it's like Rock Halford. You can do it, and I was like, yeah. And, and I can't imagine that song with this with this vocal right now. Right. Okay. Um, you've played plenty of festivals here in Spain. You've also had the privilege of opening up for Megadeth and Slayer as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've played with other bands here in festivals. Is there anyone that you've played with that has intimidated you or no? No, no. It was really funny to to tour with that with these bands. Yeah, but uh, they were so nice with us. We already played with a lot of big bands with Iron Maiden, Machine Head, a lot right. of great bands, Slayer, Megadeth, and all of them were very nice with us. Even in the last date, uh, all the guys from Slayer and Megadeth came to came out from the from backstage right. to to uh, say yes, thank you for for touring with us here in Spain. You were huh. a big band. Uh, you have a lot of future over there. You you have to go to the U.S. because your music will will be uh, will will like we like over there in, in the U.S. Right. And I was like, man, you are Dave Ellison. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking with to me? <laughs> right. So, it was very funny, and, and they were very very nice people. Okay. And you're about to go out on tour with Three Inches of Blood, Goat Whore, and Havoc. Um, how important of a tour is this for the band? It's very important. So touring outside of Spain, it's uh, nowadays the, the most important thing for us because we need to gain foothold outside of Spain. We need to gain foothold in Europe. Uh, we need to, to be bigger in, in Europe right now because we're uh, a new band for, for, for Europe, we can say that. And 
it's very important for us and we're looking forward for, for it uh, because uh, I, I think these bands are three of the best new bands right now in the world. Right. Uh, Princess of Blood and God War and Havoc. I think their late, the latest albums are pretty amazing. And, and I think it's going to be very funny and very productive for, for, for us and, and I think for all the bands because they're like Princess of Blood for heavy metal fans, God War for death metal or stream metal fans and Havoc and Angels of Battery that will be good for, for trust fans. Right. So I think that the crowd is going to be awesome and it's, it's going to be very productive for us. Okay. Why has uh, your band been the only Spanish band to be able to really go out and tour throughout Europe? One of the things that you remarked when I interviewed you the last time, or what you remarked on stage, was that Spain finally had a good yeah. <laughs> metal scene. Why is it that there aren't more bands out there that are following your footsteps and, and playing out there in other countries? Yeah, I, th I think it's this is going, going to happen. I think right now Andrés Patria is the first band in the Spanish history that comes out to Spain to, to work in the, in the international business. Uh, and tour regularly Europe, not uh, as other bands did in the past, like a couple of dates or maybe, right. yeah, some uh, some tours, but not in the way of behind in a big label with a big uh, right. European booking agency and working with uh, in, in this way. It's the first time it happens, and I think there are a lot of new bands coming out that they will be following our our, our footsteps because and and we will be very pleased to help them right. if they need our help uh, just to mention a couple of them I can say Crisix for example I think it's uh, the next band to come out from, from Spain and, and see see that Spain is not only paella soccer <laughs> and, right. and we're fighting you know, it's, it's more than this and we have metal we have good metal here right. and there are a lot of bands coming out and we have the, the old bands that they are very very good bands too but mm -hmm. there's like only in the Spanish market even for, for South America but interesting with that point as well is that you're really really looking at it the only band or the only musical act that can tour Europe because if you take into consideration pop bands they're not touring Europe either, but Angeles Apatrida is. Yeah. So, um, why do you think thrash connects so well with the Spanish audience? Well, I really don't know. The, the reason I mentioned this, and I mentioned this to uh, David before, was that outside of Overkill, I've never seen any other audience connect with another band like your band in concert. And that's why taking two thrash bands that get people going and, you know, have that type of connection with the fans, that, that's why I was wondering if there's anything that you can attribute to people enjoying thrash so much here. Yeah, but there's something curious that... Uh there are a lot of Trust fans here in Spain, and we have great audience. And but if uh, if the band is not Exodus, Overkill, Megadeth, Slayer, or Anthrax, for example, the, there's no good audience on Trust shows. And right. I know it. For example, the other day, Vile was like 40 people huh. in Madrid. Right. And we're playing in Madrid for five or six hundred people. Right. No, it's like. Something's going wrong. I don't know if the is a uh, uh, problem with the promoter or problem with I don't know because there are a lot of fans. Right. And, and well, I think trust bands 
connect good with the audience because uh, if you're playing true through Ashmeral, I don't mean true with music, just true right. with attitude, you know? Right. You are the same person on stage that on the crowd, you know? You are the same. You don't you don't need to 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 put uh, new clothes or to paint your your face, you know, you are the same guy. And if you are happy on the stage, uh, people will, will see and if, if you're connecting with the people, uh, it's, uh, it's a great relationship uh, because you are enjoying, because you are, you're watching that they are enjoying the show, so you are enjoying the kids. And I think it's, it's uh, something to do with the, with the attitude of the band. And maybe I think trust bands are maybe the metal bands that have more attitude in that way. So right. Really enjoy what they are doing um, in a relationship with the, with people. Not only, yeah, we're the band, you know, and yeah. you're the crowd. No, no, no. It's, uh, at least it's what, what I think. And, and I really enjoy to, to, to talk to the people and make jokes, and you know, and even uh, give beer to, to the front row. Right. You know, make, make the people enjoy the show and... and, and that they know that you you are not uh, a rock star, you know. Right. You are a person like like that, and I think it's, it's the the best thing you can do to connect with the audience. Right. Um, an extension of that is social media, things like Facebook, Twitter. You're active on there. The band is active on there. How important is is it for the band to be on Facebook, for uh -huh. example? I think in the same way uh, in Guaham because uh, it's. Uh, I think one of the stronger way to 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 promote the band, right? And in the other hand, if, if you have the fans uh, in your Facebook page, and even they they send you messages and you reply to messages, and it's like a, it's the, the same I was talking about with the, with the, in a show. You know, it's like we're not strange people, and we right. we, we want to communicate with with people and. We put uh, funny things on Facebook or personal things on right. Facebook with photos, with uh, with anything that make the uh, people see that uh, we we want to to to, to have relationship with, with with the fans. You know? Right. Okay. And um, why was the cat only used in the uh, Van Halen cover? The cat didn't make any backing ah. vocals on the call. <laughs> no. It's David's cat. That's David's cat. Yeah. He wanted too much money, maybe, to to be yeah. on the album. <laughs> no, it's it's a lovely cat, and you can do whatever you want with that cat. It's <laughs> like, yeah, you can put it on your arm, and you can do anything to him, and it's no problem for him. And we were uh, a bit drunk recording that that cover song with <laughs> with Cooley from from Crisis. And it was like, I, I didn't like her to, to sing that part of the right. Mahalan cover, so I was, no, I don't want to sing this. <laughs> uh, let me improve, improvise myself, let me do something different. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I was like, with the meow meow. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny. And, and it is funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Guillermo Izquierdo from Angelus Apatrida, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
a little bit of It's Rising off of the Call by Angela Sepatrida. And uh, toward the end there, the piece about the cat, their guitarist David is a very, very big Van Halen fan. Um, he's got the Van Halen insignia tattooed on his leg. He's got Van Halen, he's got Dream Theater um, on the back of his hand, and or on the back of his wrist, and uh, Lamb of God as well. And something to do with Zelda, because he's nuts about Zelda and has done the whole Zelda thing on the guitar. Anyway, so they have a video that they posted where... They're goofing around, and he's playing along to uh, Van Halen track, and uh, Guillermo, and the lead singer of the band, Chrisix, who Guillermo mentions during the interview, are doing the vocals for this Van Halen track, and in the middle, as he explained in the interview, you know, instead of doing the uh, um, barbershop quartet piece, he's goofing around with David's cat, so... There you go. That's why I bring up the cat. In any event, he mentioned Chrisix. He mentioned that they're probably the next band to jump out of Spain. They're a thrash band as well. They're going to be up next. The name of this track is Ultra Thrash by Chrisix. <laughs>
Trisix with Ultra Thrash. Up next is Bonded by Blood. This is the first track that they're releasing with Mauro and Jesse Sanchez on as part of the band. Excuse me. Uh, the drummer Carlos and Alex are still in the band. And uh, the switch up there from the last album is obviously the singer and bass player. So... Uh, Here we go. The name of this track is Restless Mind, and the name of the Bonded by Blood album is going to be The Aftermath. So, here you go.
Bonded by Blood with Restless Mind coming off of the upcoming release, The Aftermath. Up next, uh, Gojira. Gojira's a band that I've seen them live, and I think that they sound better live than they do on their albums. I know a lot of people absolutely love them, but based on what I've heard on the albums, you know, I think they're real good. It's just that I've never actually like bought into it, for lack of a better term. With that said, they just released a new single. Uh, translated into English is The Savage Child, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, L'Enfant uh, Savage, or however you pronounce it in French. The song kicks ass. It is by far one of the best things that I've heard to come out this year. So, like the rest of you people that have, you know, drank the Kool-Aid sooner... I'm waiting anxiously to hear what the rest of this EP sounds like. So let's get into a little of this track right now. This is Gojira.
So from savage child or savage infant or whatever it is, uh, let's go to Huntress. Played Huntress a bunch of times on the show already. Uh, their album Spell Eater just came out this week. Two rave reviews. The name of this track is Children by the band Huntress. Huntress coming off of Spell Eater, like I mentioned before, just came out this week as well. Check that out and the Angela Sapatrida album. And um, up next, we're going to get on with the overkill portion of the episode. Before jumping into the interview with Blitz, we are going to play a little bit of Come and Get It, the track that kicks off the Electric Age. And then after that, We'll get into the interview with Bobby. Come and 
the bat a a silly question being the whole new jersey uh, connection here how many uh whitney houston questions have you had the field <laughs> you know i I've, I've none so far this is all uh <laughs> this, this would be the first one uh, nobody's asked me anything specifically about it and maybe that's because they don't make the new jersey connection with both uh but uh boy a, a horrible loss with regard to music that was some voice Right. Absolutely. If you like her music or not, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, a tragedy what happened and just someone with so much talent to, to have them, you know, piss it all away like that as well. So, right. you know, I mean, shit happens and that's just the way it is. And, yeah. and you know, I'm, and, 
and no one should have to tell someone else how to live their life. And I think that that's probably yep. to some degree the beauty of this whole thing is that she lived it the way she wanted to and with that talent. That's so that's, that was her choice. So, hey, man, move on. That's, that's as good as it can get. Absolutely. Um, another thing that's sort of in the news lately that I wanted to uh, bring up, uh, this whole Bill Ward and Black Sabbath situation. And the reason that I want to bring it up is because a lot of people talk about uh, lineup changes in bands. There's always, you know, people that rush to judgment. Well, you know, it's this person's fault or it's that person's fault. Uh, I'm happy that with Overkill, I've never read or heard anyone say, ah, oh, you know, the band sucks without rat skates in the lineup or, or anything like that. Um, um, why do you think you guys uh, sort of get a, a pass with, with something like that? Uh, I, I think it's about presentation, you know, and obviously to compare Overkill to Black Sabbath, it's probably a real stretch. I mean, there, there's obvious uh, similarities with regard to genre um, and there right. being influence that we've had in the past. But I mean, Black Sabbath really changed the world with, uh, with regard to music. Whereas I think Overkill is appeals to let's say a small section of that of of, of that metal audience that's out there and i think that right. that's kind of specialized so if we have our presentation the same or even if a change happens and we kind of ramp up the energy uh or bring it up a step i think then there's no disappointment and i i think that that's what we've been able to do over the years to to let's say keep the spotlight on us from the people who do love us right okay Mm -hmm. Um, with regards to the lineup, this lineup has been together roughly seven years. Uh, in your mind, what makes this lineup stand out from all the others you've had? That's great chemistry, first of all. And it's, uh, it's a more upbeat lineup. Um, Ron McNicky, you know, no matter, even if he's the last member to join the band at this point, he's really the one who steers the ship live. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. It's, you can't have a bass player, guitar player, singer steer the ship. It's all about the drummer. And I think Ron is really upbeat. And you can hear uh, in his playing how much he loves to play those drums. And I think right. that he's kind of taken that chemistry uh, his own way. And, and everyone else has kind of adapted to that. So I think you get a real positive overkill on stage, not necessarily... guys that is, you know, he takes drum lessons on the road uh, via the internet. He takes um, uh, DVDs with him to learn different things that he doesn't know. So if he's ever evolving, I think so will we. And I think that that's one of the reasons that maybe we can get a pass from this or, or, or that the chemistry for this, for this uh, lineup works so well. Okay. And that's an interesting point that you brought up was one of the things that I wanted to mention. It seems as if you guys laid a foundation with uh, Immortalis, took a great leap with Ironbound, and have even surpassed Ironbound with the Electric Age. Um, did you guys specifically set out to do that, to say, you know what, Ironbound was great, but we really want to show that this lineup can do that much more? Or did you have any specific goals before going in and writing and recording this album? 
you know, there, there was no goal. And, I, you know, I remember sitting down with Dee Dee and, and both of us laughing, saying, you know, we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. It's just not going right. to happen. It's, it's, you know, we are what we are. And I think that that's one of the beauties about overkill is that uh, it's identifiable as overkill. Um, and, mm-hmm. and not just specifically because of voice, but because of really, to, to some degree, the way the songs are written. Um, right. So I think that that becomes an identifiable quality that we have. I think one of the differences I hear on this record is that there's, even though it's a, it seems like it's a little more power-packed than the Ironbound record, but there's a lot of room on the record. Even though it's speedy and fast, there was a lot of room for me to sing and kind of drop stuff in that became these real hook-laden type melodies. Um, right. sing, it once, sing it once and remember it. And I think that that's probably, um, you know, where if an opinion comes um, out that says it's surpassed the last record, I think it's just instantaneously a little bit more likable than the last record. Um, where it sits, is it better? I don't know. It's going to take me six, eight months to figure out where it sits in, you know, in the pecking order of the other 15 that are out there. Uh, but right. I'm happy with the way it has turned out. It's, um, you know, we wouldn't have left the studio without uh, positive results. I think that's a... Uh... I think you really hit the nail right on the head there because there are certain tracks that, you know, you hear them and they're, you know, infectious right off the bat. They almost make you turn your head. Not that Ironbound didn't have that, but I think exactly what you said, maybe this album has more of that to sort of hook you in. Well, you know, I, I wrote uh, my part of Electric Rattlesnake. Um, you know, it came in and I loved the song immediately. I watched it develop before it came in on the demo. And it was one of the last ones to to be to be developed. And I was uh, I was sitting in the living room, my living room, listening through the iPod, and I was scratching down a few things. And I and I scratched out the chorus, and then I I had to leave immediately. And then I lost the chorus. I don't know if it ended up in the fireplace or or whatever. But <laughs> right. you know, I came I came uh, down to my studio, and it was already on information on my studio. And I'm listening to it, and I remembered what I had written down. Uh, three days later, I said, well, that's that's actually pretty good because uh, I never sang the song. I only thought about it in my head. So I, I, the point being is that I think that if you if you have a hook like so, it becomes a memorable song. You have, uh, let's say, instantaneous success with its, uh, with its results. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw in the, the trailer that you guys posted regarding the album that you decided to work uh, in Didi's studio again and essentially, you know, use more or less the same type of stuff that you did with Ironbound. Um, what makes this studio so special for the band? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it keeps the money in the family. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of <laughs> nice. And we also get this fantastic deal on it. I mean, you, you know, the guy's not going to, He's not going to charge himself an arm and a leg to do his to do his own records. Um, right. I think that you know it, one of the things that I notice is that it's given us the luxury of time. Um, and time is always not a friend, uh, but I think that as we've gotten older and understood more so what we do, and obviously you know doing it at DD Studio, we have this luxury of time and we do understand what we're we're about. I think that we can always experiment with the songs, which, which gives us, um, oh, I don't know, it gives us the, the, the opportunity to be a little objective about ourselves. So we have the studio that we can, you know, we bring guys in and Ron goes in, they're doing drum tracks and everybody's together and then, 
you know, then Dave's laying down some guitars or Dee Dee's laying down bass. But I think we get to be objective and we can change tempos and we can put parts in, take parts out, and maybe we go back to the original way it was done. But I think that that's what we get with Dee Dee's studio. And, and it works with us as we've gotten older because I think we know how to use the time correctly. Okay. And do you have any type of outside input as well, or is it just you guys working on the material um, from a production standpoint? Well, it's, you know, the, the outside comes from the the mix, and and that was Greg Reilly on, uh, on on this record. I mean, we, we used Peter Tatkin on the last record on Ironbound, and Greg uh, Reilly on the Electric Age. And that's where it becomes fully objective, is that after the production is, is put together, you've got great performances, you have, you're, you're fully organized with, uh, you know, everything from uh, main guitar tracks to secondary guitar tracks to leads to doubles to vocals to vocal doubles. <laughs> then a guy can actually become objective about the song and, and possibly make it better. And in my opinion, Greg did a great job in this. He created a wall of sound uh, but that wall of sound also has separation. So it's uh, that, there's your objectivity. Is that that last element that comes in, uh, and that's the guy who mixes it. Okay. And what fuels you in 2012 to continuously come up with your lyrics? Well, I, you know, I have notes all around my my office, and it's where I have a little studio, and it, and it says, uh, "Don't repeat yourself." And it's <laughs> that becomes quite a challenge after this many records. And I and right. Um, uh, well, not even between petition and style. Um, and and I think that you know I have obviously a style lyrically, um, but I try not to ever repeat myself. Uh, and this becomes a challenge. And I like that eternal challenge, competitive type vibe. Thinking is that I don't think it's necessary for me to tell people how to think. Um, or an ocean than about social or political issues. Complex uh, social issues from important. Uh, uh, for instance, after going states during this particular period of time, and now you know uh, people are getting swallowed up by a bad economy. You know, and and are, are disappearing from the map with regard to what. You know, the American dream is that's more emotional, I think, than uh, a social uh, feeling. So I try to connect socially. I try to stay between, uh, away from the repetition and on the side of style. Uh, and, I, and I always look forward to the challenge. That's how, I, that's how I still come up with lyrics. Okay. With regards to, you know, this album, how is it going to affect the set list? Have you started to think of that already? Start to think about how many of these songs will get plugged in? Maybe what songs come out on any given night? It's always obvious to us before we go out on the road. It's you know we're already doing um, we're already uh, working on a video for Electric Rattlesnake. It was picked uh, by Dee Dee, myself, the, and, and the boys. The record cover said "Go for it," even though it's you know six plus minutes. Uh, that song's got to be in there, in my opinion. It's just got uh, you know, such a unique quality to it, where it is, uh, it's got that neck-breaking speed, it's got the breakdown at halftime, and then it's got another breakdown at quarter time, and then back to the neck-breaking speed. I think it really shows a lot of what we're about in the one particular song. 
So I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, where do we okay. go from there? I think it becomes obvious when we start rehearsing them all. I mean, we, we know what they are. Uh, we know how to play them. Which ones are the most fun to play? And if I had to guess, I would think Wish You Were Dead would be in there and probably come and get it also. Okay. Um, as far as going back to the set list, when do you decide, say, what songs get dusted off and brought back in from your back catalog? Is that when you guys start rehearsing or before a tour even starts, do you start to contemplate, you know what, we haven't played this one in X amount of time. I'd really love to bring this one back into the fold. You know, it's what we do is we look at, I and mean, we've saved old set lists, and I'm talking old from, you know, 88, and uh, they right. all exist somewhere in a file, and we go back and see how stuff worked uh, together, whether it be, uh, you know, something off the Years of Decay or off the Horoscope record. Maybe we're doing Coma into a song called Infectious. Now, Coma's been in the set for a while, and Infectious hadn't. Uh, we may dust it off, and insert it. And what we'll do is we'll try to insert things with regard to group or grouping from those old uh, set lists. So two songs right. may be plugged in, two songs are then taken out. We keep obviously uh, a few of the, the, the standards in there. I, I suppose they're kind of classic overkill stuff, uh, you know, whether it be in Union We Stand or Elimination. I mean, we're always going to end with Fuck You. So I think that, you know, those are the givens. Um, but the other ones are, are all up to interpretation with regard to, you know, what would be fun to do this time around. Okay. And graphics have always been an important part of the band's uh, presence from the, you know, obviously the merchandising to the album covers, so on and so forth. How difficult is it for you guys to pick out, for example, with the Electric Age, what's going to be the album cover? You know, this was uh, developed by a guy named Travis Smith, and Travis has been working with us for, oh, geez, over a 10-year period. And he, he's almost he's almost ahead of the game prior. And I think that, if you know, when I saw what he was doing uh, with this and Dee saw what he was doing with it, uh, he already had that skull inside that room. Uh, <laughs> we threw the electric age at him. He started adding turbines to it. So that artwork was actually being created prior to an album title being chosen. So he's really he's really ahead of it. He just likes doing our stuff. I think it's because of the bat and, and because of the way it comes across and that it's, it's such a brand-type uh, recognizable logo that he loves doing, doing that, uh, that whole thing. He's always ahead. Okay. Um, one of the things that we discussed... Uh, when we spoke in person, was a lot of newer bands sort of regurgitating a lot of old ideas instead of coming up with something that's their own. When you listen to Overkill, as you mentioned before, outside of your vocals, uh, sort of the entire combination, Didi's bass, so on and so forth, you know it's Overkill. Why do you think that that lacks in today's metal, that sort of originality, that you guys had when you first started? Well, you know, I, you start seeing some of that change, too. I think that, you know, one of the breakout bands, in my opinion, with regard to originality is Evile. And I think that, uh, you know, you can't call them a brand new band, obviously. They've, they've actually become road dogs over the last five years. and But they're to the newer end of things. And I think that, you know, one of the things that they've, that they've accomplished is... Uh, 
a great live presence that they've actually started to bring into the studio with themselves. Um, so, you know, when we were starting this too, we may have had some characteristics that were common only to us, but I think we were also learning. And, you know, if it was chaos back at the beginning for us, and that there was something charming about that chaos, it's developed into obviously controlled chaos because we know what we're doing at this point. And I do see some of that breakout stuff happening for, for some of the younger bands where they're, where they're actually the originality is becoming, uh, let's say, the, the key word when you, when you think of that band. Okay. So many bands that have come out from Thrash, from the time period that you guys broke out, have gone back and re-recorded a lot of their music. Why has Overkill not decided to do that? You know, it is what it is uh, to us. Uh, the past is what it is. Um, you know, I, I felt that um, it's more important to live today as opposed to yesterday. And I do think going back to some degree is more about the past than it is about the present, um, even though you're bringing the past into the present. So I'm I'm always quite happy with what we're doing. I mean, we, you know, we don't leave the studio uh, with the thought of, you know, our next project is going to be a re-recording of our old stuff. We leave the studio saying, hey, man, we just, uh, we just accomplished something again uh, that has value in present day, uh, that has a contemporary vibe to it, even though it's rooted in the past. Um, and that, I think, is more important. You know, more so what we are as opposed to what we were. So that's uh, that's why we haven't recorded anything to this point. Okay. It's interesting because right after I spoke to you, um, the last time I spoke to Chuck Billy, and obviously they did that, and one of the things that he mentioned was that he didn't like the sound that Alex Perialis gave them, and that's why they had to go back and redo those album. So it's interesting to hear your side of things and why, you know, Overkill has obviously decided to move forward. Not what not that what Testament did was bad, but your reasons are I think are just as good as what he gave me. So Yeah, I I mean and it, and it's always up to, we pay attention to our own house and that and that's the way we think of it. I don't I my philosophy doesn't apply across the board to all. Um right. I like the fact to some degree that we've made mistakes. I mean, if we didn't make any mistakes, you know, you know where we'd be? I mean, we'd be, we'd be talking about, you know, standing next to Metallica. I mean, it's really right. that kind of a, a thing. But if you've made mistakes, I think you, you put yourself in a position to not repeat those mistakes. And that, to me, is a lot more important than trying to change the past. I think it's always impossible to change the past. I, I don't care... You know, at this point, I don't care what it sounds like, good, bad, or indifferent. Okay. And going back to Killfest again, um, if you were able to put back, or excuse me, if you were able to put together a Killfest bill with a band that currently exists and one that doesn't exist, money isn't an object, you can raise the debt if necessary, uh, what other bands would you pick to play with you guys on Killfest? On Killfest, well, I mean, you're, you're making like this fantasy dream thing here. You know, I always love to at Motorhead. This is like, you know, that's like my favorite place to be. Um, I always feel like when I'm out with those guys, it's like, this is a real rock and roll tour. This is what it's all about. You know, this is the stuff your mother warned you about. <laughs> Which is cool. Um, and, I, and I think... Uh, um, 
Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, maybe Hellbent for Leather, uh, uh, Lineup and Priest. You know, that, that would have been, that would have been something else. And they're going to both open for me, though. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the well, whole, uh, <laughs> idea here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just read that Decibel Magazine is entering the Years of Decay into their Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you? Well, I guess it was nice. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I, I've, a, I've always had an aversion to having my ass kissed. It's just, it's just not <laughs> me. <laughs> I just don't fucking like it. <laughs> it's, I, I like, uh, I like, um, you know, gritty, snotty competitiveness. That, that's why I do this. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice that they did it. And they, they asked a couple of questions, brought back some memories that actually had me laughing and thinking of those times. And, you know, to some degree, I don't know if it's me or, or the shit I've gone through or there's just no more room in my brain. I, I don't remember all the stuff. And I, I actually read the article and I'm going, you know, I'm reading what Sid's saying and, and what Bobby Gustafson's saying. I'm going, geez, did that really happen? And it's and obviously it did. It's just that it happened so many years ago that it's uh, it's mellowed in my head. So it was kind of a, I don't know. I, I think it was like kind of looking at a, a photo album from a vacation from years ago, or you know, right. it's like when you know you, your parents put the uh, the old uh, uh, vacation movies on a disc, and everybody sits around and watches them. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, right. So it was a really nice departure from the present, but it's. You know, it wasn't something that would, would make or break uh, how I feel about the magazine or how I even feel about the record, you know? Um, last question. Um, given that on Kill Fest, I noticed Didi had a Giants patch on his, um, on his vest. Uh, I'm assuming he's uh, somewhat happy right now after the Super Bowl. Well, I think we all are. I mean, Didi is... Uh... You know, he's a big, uh, he's a fan that goes to the games, that kind of a thing. But everybody in, uh, I think except Derek is a Giants fan uh, on the bus. And so everybody was, everybody was real psyched about it. We all watched it in different places. Uh, none of us actually went uh, to Indianapolis to see it. But uh, right. there were, there's, Overkill was very happy with the result, Didi especially. Yeah, I was up till 4.30 in the morning biting on my nails until that <laughs> final play, so. <laughs> and what a catch, huh? What a catch. Yeah, the next catch, yeah. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Internet. This is Bobby Wilson Overkill. That's right. You're on Mars Attack Radio. You stay right where you are.
coming off of the electric age if you couldn't tell that interview was done it was actually done like two days after Whitney Houston had passed away and shortly after the Giants had won the Super Bowl so back in uh, February and here we are in May anyway the idea is to get these episodes out and help promote these you know bands that you enjoy and albums that you think are great and songs that you think are great and that's what I think both albums by both of the people that were involved in this episode. As far as I'm concerned, I think both of them are really, really good albums. So check them both out. Again, The Electric Age by Overkill, and check out The Call by Angela Sepatrida. That's pretty much it. We're going to wrap things up with one last track by Overkill. This is going to be the closing track for the album. We did the opening track. Let's do the closing track, which I absolutely love. And again, the whole album is great through and through. Uh, This is going to be good night. Before getting to that, just remember to go to Mars Attacks Radio to keep up to date with all the shenanigans going on with Mars Attacks Podcast and anything else associated with the various social media sites. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. See you next time right here on Mars Attacks. And we'll leave you with Good Night by Overkill. So, good night. (laughs) 